Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Okay, I'm really excited about Galatians 5. It is kind of a jump out of nowhere, and it seems out of context. So before we actually dive in and start understanding what's going on, we have to give the context. So Galatians, written by Paul, it's the fifth chapter, sort of four, that we're missing here. The story of the Galatians is basically that there's a bunch of Greek people who are not the Jews, and the Jews who are the first Christians were telling these Greeks, hey, if you really want to be saved, if you really want to follow Christianity, you have to become circumcised like we did for thousands and thousands of years. And Paul is just torn apart because that's not the truth at all. He's telling them, you guys are saved by faith. There's nothing else you can do possibly. So why are you listening to these teachings which are clearly wrong? Um, he then tells them in the, in the chapters before that, look, Jesus appeared to me directly, and I'm an apostle because of that. He sent me out to Arabia and those places, and then I came back and I spoke with Peter and I spoke with Judas or uh, Jude. Um, but it wasn't until after God sent me out that I returned to speak with the Jews about these matters. Even then, when they came, when the Jewish, the Jewish Christians came to Galatia to speak to those Greeks, uh, Peter was really cool. He was interacting with all the Greeks, having a good time, going to their homes, mingling with them. But the moment more Jewish Christians came by who were still tied to the old customs, he started withdrawing from the Greeks and abiding by the old customs. Like, oh, I probably shouldn't fraternize with the Greek people. I should have to have different rules to live by. And, and Paul called him out on that basically saying, Peter, you're a hypocrite. What are you doing? You're living one way when your friends aren't around, and once your Jewish Christians come around, you live a different way. You can't do that, which he's right. But that's the context. So now he's writing a letter to the Galatians saying, this is the situation. What happened to you guys? It wasn't always this way. Um, Let me remind you, it is by faith, not by works. You don't want to be bound by the law. And it's important to understand this context because um, context can change everything. There's always the situation where if I told you I injected somebody with some poisons and then a few days later I decided to give them some radiation just to kill some parts of their body, that sounds absolutely terrible. Now, if you know that I'm a medical student at Mayo and I work with doctors in oncology, that's standard practice to treat cancer. It sounds terrible, but once you get the correct context, things will make more sense. So now that we have the correct context for Galatians 5, we can start reading through and understanding more. So chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So he's saying to them, you guys are free, don't be slaves, because in the old days what they had was just the law before Jesus came around. And they were bound by the law, and nobody could fulfill the law. And it was, again, a yoke of bondage. Like, it's very terrible to have all these rules and regulations that you can't follow, only to realize that you're falling short constantly. And what are we looking forward to? One day of the year where uh, there's the Day of Atonement, and finally you're cleansed, but then you repeat living under the law only to fail again. That's not true for us anymore. We live by faith, and, and Jesus has set us free. That's the liberty that Christ has gave to us. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. 
And again, the context is important here. It has nothing to do with the actual act. It's the fact that he's saying to the Greeks, you guys were uncircumcised before, totally fine. Jesus came around. This message of the gospel came around. You are saved by faith. To listen to the Jewish Christians who are demanding that you change your ways and become circumcised, if you do that and you think you have to become circumcised to be saved, that's wrong. You can't do that. That's what he's speaking about. The actual act is a, a completely separate. It's, if you look into it, it's not actually Abraham who could have been the first one when God told him uh, to be circumcised. There's uh, sources and hieroglyphs of the Egyptians who'd have done it predating Abraham. There's other nations that when you know the British and the Spanish were going out into the, the world for the first time, they encountered different ethnic groups of people who already were, who had no contact with uh, any of the Jewish documents or books. So it has nothing to do with the act itself. And, and since we're on the act itself, um, there are different guidelines that the medical community would always provide, but as it stands now, there are far more benefits than negatives for circumcision. And there's plenty of research to support it if you want to look into it as well. Verse 3. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So he's basically saying, you are set free by Christ. You have no obligation towards the law. But if you do choose to live by the law, then you have to follow the entire law, which is just a, a lost errand in itself. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And this is just reinforcing the same concept that it, it's all through faith. Don't worry about the law. Um, if you look into Paul's other interactions in the Bible. If you remember, there's a, another man named Timothy. And Timothy's dad was a Greek, so a Gentile, but his mom was a Jew. And in this uh, story, Paul wanted to take Timothy and, and go preach to the Jews, so he had Timothy circumcised, which seems like a really huge contradiction because we just read that he's really upset, sad, at the Galatians for listening to the Jewish Christians like, you don't have to come circumcised, but here he is doing it to Timothy. So that seems hypocritical to me. It seems like he's going against what he literally just said. But we can see in another uh, epistle that he wrote that the heart of Timothy is not really hypocritical. Um, if you remember from Corinthians, it says, uh, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews, to those who are under the law, as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some." The basic idea here is that you meet people where you are, where they are. If me, in the patient room, if I spoke to everyone as if they went through four years of medical school and they went through six years of uh, rotations 
and I spoke to them in medical terms and telling you what's wrong with this and that, it, it would make no sense at all. That's pointless. I'm literally speaking a different language. So I have to meet the patients who come in where they are. I have to meet my family where they are. For those who don't know, I'm half Mexican and half Egyptian. It's a strange mix, but it's a fun one. But whenever I go hang out with my Mexican side of the family, I behave like a Mexican. When I'm hanging out with the Egyptian side of my family, I mean, I'm not doing hieroglyphs or anything, but like I behave like an Egyptian. And when I'm with my friends from college, I'm behaving like a college kid. You meet people where they are. That's what Paul's saying here. So it's not hypocritical that he had Timothy become circumcised because he was going to Jews to meet the Jews where they are. That's what they know. He's not going to demand that, look, I'm living the correct life. You have to live like me, and that's the bottom line. There's a, it's not a problem. There's many different types of churches. There's Lutheran, there's Calvary, there's Catholic, there's Baptist And many people will say, this is the only way to go. That's the only way to go. But if we remember when there there was one instance where the disciples came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, there's these other guys who are speaking your name, in your name. And they're casting demons out and doing all these things. We told them to stop because they're not like us. They're not part of our discipleship. And his response was, essentially, why would you tell them to stop? Either they're for us or they're against us. And that's a, the first example we have of a different group of people who believe in Jesus and are doing good things in his name, but they're not part of the core group. So what does it matter? Is, is it to say that Calvary is the only way to go? There's great people in every branch and every type of different sectarian. Let's not get out of the core doctrine, but if you love Jesus and the spirit is flowing through them, you can't find fault with that. So, it's not hypocritical for Paul. He's meeting people where they are at, and I think that is a good example for us to follow, to meet people in our family, in our community, in our own church, exactly where they're at. So, verse number seven. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And the idea here is, is, you know, it only takes a few apples to spoil the whole basket. It doesn't take much for dissension or a false teaching to creep in and then for a lot of people to start believing it. Paul didn't know who it was, but he didn't say, or demand that they be exposed, or that you take judgment on them, or be vengeful. We know vengeance isn't ours. Uh, We know that they will reap their own reward in due time. So that's not our place to condemn others. It's not our place to to be one who would uh, cause dissension, but it's important to realize and recognize who these people are. When he says... um, having confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. It's hope that Paul has. No matter what happens, you're always going to have people who will fail. It's going to happen. Like My path here to Rochester was wrought with failure. 
every person's life is not just a straight path and it just works out perfectly. You're going you're to have deviations constantly. And the Galatians had a pretty major deviation, but he did not lose hope for them. And we got to do that the same with our people in the church, in the family, and in those in our community. Don't ever lose hope. Paul didn't lose hope for those who he loved. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The idea that we are of liberty or free is not a new one that Paul is raising up here, right? He talked about it in Romans, where basically uh, you're not bound by laws. You don't have to live by certain regulations. You can live a pretty free life. Just remember that those around you, you have to meet where they are. They're not necessarily going to be as strong as you are in the faith. So that was the example, and you could hear that many times where it's like, oh, is drinking bad? Is it, is it completely illegal from the Bible? There are many things in the Bible which you're not going to find. It's not going to talk about what uh, type of internet you should use, which website you should browse. Like that's, it's just obviously not going to be there. But the concepts behind them are completely there. If your actions will cause a fellow church member or a family member to stumble, probably a good idea not to do those. You should live your life in a way that would help those around you so that they could see Jesus through us. That's the whole point, right? He said we're his ambassadors. We should act like ambassadors of Jesus and do the best that we can for those around us. Now, some people can take the liberty too far. Everything's okay. You know, I'm going to meet you where you're coming from, so that means whatever sins you're doing, that's totally fine. Uh, I'm just going to meet you there and love you for it. We can't go too far. That's, that's one extreme that's too much. That would give an opportunity for the flesh here. You should use it to serve one another. Jesus preached to leaders of the Sanhedrin of the Jews. He was with people who committed crimes. He was with prostitutes. He met with tax collectors, which in those days were really hated. And I mean, I'm, not, I'm sure they're not terribly loved now, but they were especially hated back in those days. And a lot of the Jews found trouble with this. How could you do that? How can you consort with these people? How can you talk to them? But he didn't participate in their activities. He met them where they were. And he loved the person. And you always hear that adage, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner, which to me, yeah, ideally, if I could do that, that'd be great. It it takes a strong ability to discern that a person is just uh, not exactly how they act or they're different than their their actions. To me, it's, it's a blurry area where it's just like, it's hard for me to separate somebody who keeps doing wrong things or hurtful things to me or my family I'm supposed to hate that, but I'm supposed to love the person. It, it's, it's difficult, and, and we realize that. But then we have to remember that living a life by faith is a daily process. It literally said we have to renew our mind. We have to think on the things that Jesus would do. It's not easy, and it, it, I don't think it ever will be, but this is a daily process we have to go through. We have to remind ourselves every day. So too much liberty, that's not what he's saying. Don't live your life doing whatever you want, and then on the last day, repent and, oh, everything's fine. You just saved yourself at the last moment. It doesn't work that way. Conversely, in verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, 
even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. You can be too liberal, or you can be too conservative, too focused on, these are the way we do it here, these are the laws, you can't go against the bylaws of the church. That's too nitpicky. And the word nitpicky has an interesting source, which we, I mean, I learned in medical school, maybe you guys know this, I don't know, um, for lice. Lice used to be a big problem in, back in the day, and everybody would have it in their head. And the eggs that lice lay were called nits. And they would cement themselves to the root of your hair. And this is before we had chemicals where you could actually just, you know, throw them on the head and clean them out and whatnot. So there was some person who had to have the job of being the nit picker and literally pick out the nit from each hair root one by one. It was meticulous, laborious, a long process. And that's where we get the word, you know, oh, he's being nitpicky. But it could be applied in, in everyday life, in church. You know, this person abides by the rules too much. They're too concerned with what type of clothing you should wear. There's some churches that will say uh, certain types of hair have to be done this way. You can't wear earrings unless it's in this fashion. That's too much on the conservative side. We have liberty, guys. We can't take too much liberty because let's be reasonable, but let's not be too conservative because, again, that's unreasonable. Strike that balance. Remember, it's a daily process of renewing our mind, and let's live how we think an ambassador of Jesus Christ should be to our family and our community. <clears throat> Moving on to 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And again, this is a concept that he threw at us in Romans, which I face every day too. Like there, there are things you want to do, and you know in your mind and in your spirit it's the right thing to do. For me, it would be, I need to go to bed at 10 p.m. I need to wake up early and study. I know this is the right thing to do. But video games are also pretty fun. And I do want to play for just one more hour. Or maybe it's I want to watch one more extra hour of TV or stay up and watch something on Netflix. This is a daily thing that we all face. And he, he mentioned that before in Romans where it's like, I, you know, the, the flesh and the spirit are always fighting. You know the flesh is, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's just reminding us again here to the Galatians, um, it's going to be a battle. And they're fighting each other completely. The lusts of the, of the flesh are completely against the spirit and vice versa. Um, but he gives the hopeful reminder. Remember, you are of the Spirit. You are not bound by the law. So don't make it harder for yourselves. It's already, it's already hard enough that you have the flesh against you. You really want to add the law on top of that? It's, it seems like a lost cause. And he's, he's reminding them, you don't have to go there. So, if we continue forward into 19... He gives an example of how you can tell what are works of the flesh. It's such a, a random saying. I'm not going to go anywhere and tell someone, oh, that's a work of the flesh. Like, you can tell by how they live and their actions and the results. Like, oh, that's not the optimal outcome. So now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, 
uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So there are things in the Bible where it would be very explicitly said, you can't do these things. These things are bad. You know, like that's uh, where everybody will say, well, I never read in the Bible that I can't do this. I never read in the Bible I can't do that. Some things are very explicitly said. These things are against the will of God. And that's where we are kind of mentioning earlier, there is a plenty, there's plenty of area that's gray. The Bible never talked about the internet. The Bible never talked about the troubles that, you know, directly, the troubles that we see in our life in the 21st century, the, the things that we have to deal with. I mean, they didn't foresee the ethical dilemmas that Paul never talked to us about whether or not we should give uh, teenagers cell phones or what age is the appropriate age they should get, you know, uh, access to the Internet. These things we have to apply to the basic concepts of um, fruits of the Spirit and then carry it out. But again, it's always important to remember that there are some things that are explicitly written like these here. Kind of analogous idea Two years ago when I started school here, even before we had classes in any actual uh, sciences or anything like that, we had orientation for two or three weeks. And they asked a question, which I thought was pretty straightforward. Do you think it's possible for you or for anybody else to be a good doctor but have an absolutely terrible private life? Just an absolutely wretched life at home with his friends, with his family with her loved ones. The way that I think whenever I'm asked these questions is pretty, I feel like it's a cheater, a cheater's way out. Like I always find an exception. I'm like, well, clearly that's not true because I found one exception. But I think the question wasn't really looking for an answer so much as looking for an evaluation of your life and how you want to be as you move forward with this profession. So initially my answer was, yeah, of course. You can... You can be the best doctor. You could be the best eye doctor in your field, known worldwide. You could have referrals from across the world. There's a, there's a doctor in the University of Southern California, which is where I come from, and he's the dean of the medical school. An amazing eye doctor, like literally really well-known. He's been the dean for 10 years, doing a fantastic job, raising tons of money. Who doesn't want that? especially at USC. But recently news came out of him being completely addicted to, to drugs, uh, having lots of prostitutes, and this was found out only because there was somebody taking a video of it with the phone, and it was leaked out. And he was being protected by the police on many separate occasions where he was caught. So here's the question. Can you be a good doctor with a terrible life at home? Can you be a good engineer with a terrible life at home? Can you be a good worker a good husband, a good wife, uh, but you treat your family in a completely different way whenever you see them. You know, the knee-jerk reaction is, yeah, you could, you could live a double life. You could do that. But is it sustainable? And is that really the question that they were asking me? I don't think it was. They wanted it to be the entire picture. They wanted it to be like, your life is going to change from now on. You're going to see people in a small city of Rochester at the grocery store. You're going to see him at the fair. You're going to run into them. Your private life and your professional life in a town like this aren't always completely separate. 
And same for us at church. Our church life and our private life, many times people will see that it's separate. We can go to Sunday nice and easy. I could put on a huge smile and, and say all the right things I'm supposed to say, but at home it could be completely different. I don't think. I don't read through the Bible. I don't pray. I treat people terribly. Yeah, that's, that's totally possible. We've seen that. That's nothing new to us. But that's not how it should be. That is evidence of the flesh. Um, it doesn't have to be like you're performing sorcery at your home or you know, you're doing terrible things, but it doesn't matter. These are, these are the fruits of the flesh, and they're not good. People will see that, and they're going to say, this is an ambassador of, of Jesus. Like That doesn't make sense to me. These who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Moving to the next one, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So we know exactly how to identify people who are doing things wrong. Some people even love doing that, being nitpicky. Um, But you can also tell who is living a good life, who is doing the right things, because you'll see these coming out of them. And it doesn't have to be in a grandiose way. You're always going to see people who have tons of money who are going to be philanthropists, right? What, what is a philanthropist even? For those who don't know, I really love Greek words, and here I am going to go tell you exactly what it is. But philanthropy, if I, phileo is the word that means love. Anthro is humanity, is humans, right? Anthropology is the study of human behavior, the study of humans. So philanthropy, philanthropy is literally a person who loves humanity. And that's why they give so much money to the environment, to the community, to make things better, to build wells, whatever it is. So you can tell what people do. They can do it in a grandiose way, donating millions to the church, donating millions to a hospital. That's great. But in our lives, I I don't expect to become a millionaire anytime soon. I don't think I'm going to do grandiose things. But we do have an impact on those around us. Uh, I remember hearing something a long time ago where it's uh, one hand washes the other, but uh, you can, what was it? I think one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing. It's an idiom basically saying, like, you don't have to be all flashy about what you do. Little interactions that you have have a huge impact. Huge. I remember a story of uh, another physician who, away from work, was just having a conversation with somebody who was a teenager. Nothing special. They were, they were out in a, in a pretty public place. But his interactions with that, that teenage girl, just having a simple conversation, revealed something that you would never think. We don't know where people come from. We don't know what's happening in their private life. What he found out when he was talking with this girl, platonically, just, how's your day? How's life? What's, what's going on? She was on her way that day to commit suicide. That was her life about to end. But this person just spoke to them, spoke to a girl around them, and changed that person's life. And that's what our lives are like. We don't know what's happening in the lives of people around us. I I don't know. Whenever patients come into the, the urgent care or they're here for a visit... I don't know what's going on. I have to meet them where they are. There's no judgment that should come from me. 
and we just go from there. That's what we have to do as ambassadors for Christ. Meet people exactly where they are, have no judgment, display these, you know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and move from there. Because we really don't know where they're coming from. There's another story that we have in, uh, in school. They try to teach us different scenarios where you would never expect. And what do you do in these situations or that situation? And there's some really rare diseases out there that at Mayo Clinic you will see, but nowhere else, of course. And one of them was uh, a person who was raised as a girl her entire life, up until age 30-something. Totally normal, Lutheran church, loving family, great friends, graduating college, doing all the right things you're supposed to do in life. Only to eventually realize that when she went to the doctor one day and they did um, a weighted look at your genetics that she was actually XY, which means that's a boy. But her entire life she was raised as a girl. And in the situation it made sense. There was no reason them to think otherwise because she was a very unique case that nobody would have known otherwise. You would think like it's very obvious to tell who's a boy and girl, but in this case it wasn't for the genetics. But what do you do with that? I, I, I don't even know what she would be going through to realize that for your entire adult life something completely changed and you could apply this to other things what if you learned at 35 that you were adopted that's that's the realization maybe they were trying to hide it from the child or not but these things happen in people's lives and we don't know and their entire life is turned around how do they deal with it an important thing to know is how did the church deal with it too this girl went to a Lutheran church reveals to them the reality of her genetics. But the church didn't shun her. They didn't throw her away. They didn't ostracize her or cast her out. They loved her. I don't know what is going to happen. I don't know what the outcome of the situation was beyond that. But the point is, they loved her. They didn't cast her out. We have to remember to do that ourselves. And it's hard. There are so many times where I'll look through patient histories and and you wonder what was going on here, but you can't judge. That's not the point of the visit. My whole goal is to care for the person's body. Our whole goal as Christians is to care for their soul. And interestingly enough, when you look at the word for soul, it's the same as breath. Life and soul are the same thing. We have to care for both of them. So we see all these things, and that's great. Paul was talking to the Galatians telling them, look, you can't, you don't have to live by the law. Don't do that. Don't listen to these Jewish Christians. You guys are, are by faith, like us. We're by faith through Jesus. And he's telling you, you can identify that we have freedom. Don't have too much freedom. Don't be too nitpicky. Live a life like an ambassador like Christ. You can tell people who have uh, lust of the flesh and are living because they'll have these adultery, fornication, and cleanliness, all those fruits of the flesh. But likewise, you can tell people who are doing good based on the the good fruits that they have. So here we are in the 21st century. How do we make use of these things? But I think we can, right? The bottom line is Paul's saying, don't worry about being too regulatory. Live by Christ. Know that you have liberty. Meet people where they are. I think any generation can do that. A lot of the times we read in the Bible, you'll see that they're thinking that this is the end. Uh, Jesus is coming back at any moment. And it makes sense. Whenever you see those cults on TV and they're saying like, oh, 
Um, the second coming is going to come on January 5th of uh, 2018. So they sell their entire home, they sell all their property, and they give it away because it doesn't matter. Jesus is coming back. Only it doesn't happen. Um, not that you know, it was foolish what the, the people in Acts and the first Christians were doing, but they really did think, and why not, that Jesus was coming back imminently, momentarily. And it makes sense, right? All these guys are giving up and uh, buying or selling their homes, Ananias and Sapphira, though they lied, sold their homes, gave it to the church, everybody was sharing. They're always saying, in the last days, didn't God say this? Didn't this prophet say this? Look around. But this book was written 2,000 years ago. So here we are now, again, thinking the end is coming. What do I know? I don't know if it's going to be 50 years, 100. But the point is it doesn't matter. 2,000 years and nothing's changed here. The same I, same concept that Paul's teaching to the Galatians are what he could be teaching to us Rochesterites or whatever Rochester is. Meet people where they are. Don't judge them. That's not our place to do it. Remember the context of this. It has nothing to do with circumcision or not. It has to do with the, the idea that you think you have to live by the law. That's not true. It's very easy for us, right, to pull one verse out of something and say like, oh, that's it. And the most widely known verse for Christians or for people who aren't even Christian would be John 3.16. But then what's the context of John 3.16? A lot of people will be like, oh, I, I can't remember. I wouldn't remember unless I looked it up. He's talking to Nicodemus, right? Right before he's talking about being born again. Another weird concept. But the point is, right after John 3.16 and John 3.17, it says that Jesus did not come to the world to condemn the world. So who are we trying to condemn others? That doesn't make sense. We have to know the full context. I think we got a pretty good context here in Galatians 5. I think we can do, we can try to live out what he wanted us to do. And it won't be easy. And we have to remember that. But again, day by day, renew your mind. Pray daily. It's a struggle, but it's something that we all face and we all can get uh, through. And over time, it becomes a habit and it becomes better. So that's, that's pretty much it for Galatians 5. Um, let's bow our heads and we'll be dismissed after that. Lord... Thank you for the apostles that you rose up and had preached to different areas. Thank you for the examples and stories that you give us where we can see not everything is black and white, cut and dry. There are some gray areas. But you told us that we can live by certain principles. We can look to you. We can be your ambassador. And we could be that light on the hill for others so they can see you through us. I pray that you help us to renew our minds daily, that you help us to think from the perspective of others, to realize that we don't know the full story, that we need to have an open mind to love others that way, that we need to think about what you would do in certain situations. I thank you that you give us these blessings and good things that happen in our lives that we don't even know about. Sometimes we don't even acknowledge, but you are watching over us constantly. I pray that you help us remember, remember, remember that a double life is not 
not the what we're looking for. It's not the optimal. We can live one way at church and have a different way at home, but I pray that we realize that it's the whole that you're after, that we have to love our neighbors as ourselves, that our life in every aspect should reflect you. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.